welcome to The Big Deal, where we unlock the details and drama behind the business of sport in Australia and around the world. Join me, Warren Treadray, along with Andrew Montessi and our expert guests as we take you into the boardroom for behind-the-scenes access and analysis of contracts, negotiations, endorsements and much more. Subscribe to our show on your favourite podcast player and don't forget to sign up to www.thebigdeal.au for a weekly wrap of the latest deals, breaking news and many more exclusive opportunities. Welcome to another episode of The Big Deal. I'm Andrew Montessi, joined by AFL legend Warren Treadray. G'day, Treaders. Hey, Monty, how are you? Good, mate. Bit tired after the ashes last night. We're going to get into that shortly. We're back with our sports wrap, and as long, uh, along with the ashes, we've also got many big money moves in Australia and around the world. Now, regarding the ashes, Treaders, uh, how did you see it? Aussies 2 0 up, pretty wild finish. What are you thinking? As the dust settles this morning, well, the big incident is around whether um, you know Johnny Besto was run out. Well, as they said, stumped, or now they changed it to run out. Well, it's funny, and the hypocrisy from the Poms is unbelievable on this one because you know he wandered out of his crease after playing a shot. Alex Carey was smart enough, like all wicket keepers do, like Johnny Besto was proven to do in the past. Reacted quickly. Did the quick throwdown of the stumps? He'd wandered a, what about a meter out of his stumps. The, the dismissal went to the third umpire. The umpire agreed, and he was out. Um, but it's amazing the rousing reception that the um, all the Australian players got from the uh, the um, the long room in Lords. The the long time members have pretty much had cracked a few. I know Kawaja turned around and gave someone a mouth and um, uh, a, a few words back. But it's funny because all these members are. The old guys, all the oldies, old guys and old girls who are sitting there because um, you know, to, to be in that area, you've actually got to be a 30, 40 or 50 year member anyway. So um, I thought it was I thought it was fair. I thought it was in the, the rules of the game. Clearly, the English aren't happy about it. But who gives the stuff? Sucked in. You go back to it. Alex Carey, in the same, basically in the same movement, has swung through and done it. Besto, I mean, what an absolute muppet wandering around absolutely vital time of the test wandering around in the middle of the pitch he deserved it like yeah. what a clown and then to yeah. and then to try and raise spirit of the game related questions even even after like in the emotion sure in the emotion of the the game during the game but then even in the in the debrief Stuart Broad and Brendan McCullum the coach is still kind of flagging oh no it's a spirit of the game issue blah 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 like come off guys yeah, well, they're kidding themselves because all you'd need to do is show about 20 seconds of vision um, from day three when um, the irony is that Besto attempted to run out Australian batsmen exactly the same way. He's had a history doing it. And this is, when I say history doing it, it's not bad. It's in the rules of the game. Every wicketkeeper. I was a wicketkeeper back in the day. I remember trying to do it because blokes who don't get back, guys or girls who don't get back in their crease are effectively trying to push the rules. You know what I mean? You have to go and crease, you know, Whoever over was called, if over was called, then we've got an issue. But over wasn't called, and they actually hadn't put their bat back in the crease. So it's fair game here. So, and I find it it funny too. You know, this is always happens off the back of something pretty small. You know, Nathan Lyon pings a calf. Everyone cheers him. We'll get to that pretty soon. But the day before, Mitchell Stark wasn't allowed to take a brilliant catch. Was it was deemed it wasn't an official catch because he grounded the ball. He took the catch. The catch wasn't bobbling. He then, because he's running flat out and sliding, 
uses his hands out for breaks, of which he's holding the ball. So effectively, they're saying he grounded the ball. The English had no problem with that. I thought that was a worse incident because, hang on, he's taken the catch. You know what I mean? He hasn't touched it over the line. He's actually, it's gone to ground. Well, we're seeing that so many different times. His hands were around it. It didn't bobble. So there's no wonder that this is a little bit spirited at the moment. And let's face it, you throw in alcohol, you throw in the Barmy Army or the Travelling Merv tour groups, you've got to have a spiteful uh, Ashes series. The Aussies are up to zip. Um, sucked in pods, pull your finger out. Yeah, and you mentioned copping the abuse from the Lords members. You know, I can't imagine that it would have been too abusive. You know, a bit of old chap this and, you know, waving of the finger and all that sort of stuff. But, but God, like, if you do think about it, that it's a, it's a lovely tradition to have the players, you know, walk through the members and, uh, and all of that. But, but they're actually very exposed when you look at it. Something heated like that happens and all of a sudden the players are actually right amongst the crowd. I mean, thank goodness it's the, uh, it's the Toffee Lords members and, and not at another ground. Yeah, and I think that's why it is like it is. I think that that you know, no one's going to say that that should go, but very much so over the journey of professional sport, athletes now run out through a race or through an underground tunnel. We see it over in Europe and soccer because of that element of leaning over and creating issues from you know a fan who's got too fired up or had too many drinks um, before the game. But uh, I think the the bigger issue here. Um, for cricket is the substitute rule with Nathan Lyon. You know, he wasn't allowed to run out. This is the guy that's ripped his calf to shreds in the first inning bowling. Um, he then has to go out and bat. It's a four, and it was just a manful effort. It was an Aussie fair income. Fans will love him for that stuff, effort. Um, because you can't get a sub. Um, you can only get a sub for a head knock, not this. And this is the bit from yesteryear, you know, this must have been a rule change many, many years ago because if it happens in the in the actual game, then you're able to used to be able to have a runner. Um, but the fact that he's pinged a calf and now we can't have a runner, it's just absolutely ridiculous. Not only is it inhibited batting anyway because he can hardly move his legs, he's now expected to try and run. Like it took him five to ten minutes to get out to the centre wicket anyway. That's just ridiculous. Yeah, it is. It's a, um, and you know, like, yes, we've got the uh, rules to introduce to protect uh, players' heads and head knocks and concussions and things like that, quite rightly. But I think for for other injuries, I think we should be able to consider uh, a shift in the rules because I mean that's just silly. And of course, Nathan Lyon's always going to go out there. He's got the the heart of a lion, so to speak, and he's going to do his best for his country but to do that he's actually risking further injury and inflicting more damage on his own body and I I don't think that is in the spirit of the rule um, that they've they've got there so I think they should really look at changing that and what do you you think about I guess on on reflection from the the first two tests so far what do you think about the the state of test cricket I mean interestingly there's been so much talk I'm, I'm actually over it about baseball and entertainment but then we really didn't see any of that we saw bumper bowling boring relatively boring half track bounces for much of this test i mean my view i think this is just test cricket right you can't pigeonhole it you can't say well we're going to change the game test cricket is test cricket you get a different track different set of circumstances you have to adapt how do you see it i agree uh, absolutely entirely because you know you, you can play baseball 
I'll argue that uh, Australia, in early days, even India in the one day, has decided to play baseball. Remember when they used to, you know, one day cricket used to be, hey, if we can get 50 off the first 15 overs and settle ourselves in, then we're in for a good score of 200. Well, yeah, we want, we want 100 off the first five innings, yeah, five uh, overs. Um, ideally, but you know, Australia changed the da- game with one player in particular. His name was Adam Gilchrist. You know, you can talk all you want about baseball. As soon as you put Gilchrist in your team, then the situation of baseball is just ridiculous. You know, because yeah, I agree with it, what you say. It was a lot of bumpers, a lot of bounces, a lot of short pitch, a lot of set the trap for a wicket. Why? Because there wasn't much in the wicket. For the first time in my history of just watching cricket, we've got English wickets that aren't really seeming and doing anything from ball one. Yeah, it's no coincidence that most of England's bowlers who have thrived and played their whole careers there, Jim Anderson being one, have struggled to take wickets. Why? Because the wickets aren't really conducive to swing bowling. They've all almost, you know, there's no doubt that, you know, when I say doctor pitch, I'm not saying illegally, but, you know, they've, they've talked about how they want flatter decks and more chance to take the game on and, you know, have to, bowlers have to sort of put their arms, uh, their back into it. Because if you look at Australia's um, bowling um, lineup, Hazelwood, Stark, Cummins, they, if they had a, a ripping wicket, good luck. I don't think the bombs could actually compete. So um, this baseball bit is all just bluff for me. Um, as you say, cricket's got to be about, you know, what you're seeing and what you're playing. And if you're five for not much, you need to sort of bunker down and play boring cricket for a while to get yourself back in. But I think Australia's been. Uh, the better team over the first two tests. You know, I know England were pretty adventurous in terms of uh, declaring with a chance to, to try and bowl Australia out in that first test and, and it bit them in the butt. But, you know, clearly um, Australia's batsmen have got the job done better than the, the English batsmen so far in two tests. Now, Traders, moving on to footy. Uh, one we've been following throughout is Alistair Clarkson and where he's at with his coaching position at the Kangaroos. He's easing back into it. What are your thoughts there? Where's he at? And and how do you how do you think this one will play out? Well, exactly where he's at, I'm not sure. Um, there were stories around late last week um, that he was looking to come back into it. Um, I was uh, filling in on radio in Adelaide and uh, spoke to Hugh Greenwood as part of that, um, who was at North Melbourne, and asked him how far away. He, he was pretty much none the wiser. So the players are probably will be the last ones to see him arrive. Um, I suspect Clarko speaking to senior leadership players uh, that he'll be returning, and obviously you know, the president and uh, the CEO and head of footy. Um, I think Todd Viney's involved down there. So I think he'll slowly walk his way into it. I'm not sure he's going to coach first week um, if he's dealing with the issues that we're, we're led to believe and he's stepped away and Brett Ratt has been doing a pretty good job. I would suspect Clarkson will probably spend a week or so on the sidelines sort of being around, being a presence, being more one-on-one, um, and he'll step into it where he feels fully right to go back. So um, he's going to look after himself first and foremost, and, and North Melbourne's not going to be playing finals anytime soon, so I think the best thing for everyone is him to get fully healthy before he returns. Yeah, absolutely, and and Treaders, I want to raise something that uh, we've been talking about off-camera or off-mic, that another gripe. You've always got a few little gripes at this point in the chat, which is good. You reckon the players are too friendly? Yeah, I've been watching this, Monty, for a few years. Um, and I was in a situation where we had Mark Williams as our coach. Um, he hated blokes smiling. He hated blokes talking. 
he hated blokes um, laughing. And when I say hated, it, it, it just didn't look great. And, and I know we're in a different era right now. You know, I retired in 2010, so we're 13 years on or whatever it is. But I don't know how many times I see a guy kick a goal on a defender. And then they cameras on them and they're sort of <laughs> smoke, they're smiling, smirking, chatting. I just can't understand that. That guy's your opponent. That guy's your opponent for 100 minutes or 120 minutes of football. And if it's bite, scratch, rah, 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 and I look at the stands, are they like that? No way. The other bit too, after the game, I get everyone high fives and talks and that's relaxed a lot from the old days of well done, I'm getting off the field. I think we moved on from that. But if you're laying a heavy tackle, the one that irritates me the most is the old days you tackled hurt. Yeah, and I get that. And we're not talking about any head-high tackles because we'll get to that soon. But a genuine tackle at the bottom of the pack, how many guys used to sort of subtly lean on a bloke and get back up? Now, opposition players, and I've seen Charlie Dixon do it at Port Adelaide, picks, puts an arm out and lifts up the opposition player, pats him on the bum, and they run back to their positions. What's going on? It's wouldn't like, it, wouldn't wow. have seen the big fella do that back in the uh, early 2000s. Couldn't well, imagine you I doing used that. To, yeah, I was a bit weird like that. People put their hand out, I'd say thanks. In terms of good luck, I'm not wishing them luck. It's hard enough playing this bloody game, let alone wishing you luck. Um, don't get me wrong, there were little conversations here and there, but the intensity from the moment when I grew up, and I grew up off the back of, you know, before the professional era really kicked in, where teams went full-time and some blokes had jobs when we first started out. So it was all a, all a case of your young, earn your stripes, then speak up after 50 games, so to speak. And it wasn't a set mark, but you didn't have the confidence to speak up in, around senior players early days until you got some runs on the board. And once you did, that's fine. But you know, you're seeing first-year players bouncing around, high-fiving, helping out the opposition on the field. I think we just got it wrong. If it's a competitive atmosphere, we're not there to help the opposition off the ground. They can get up themselves. They've got two arms and two. Maybe it's a bit old school of me, but I just hate seeing it. You know, if you've had a goal kicked on you, you should be filthy. Not in a situation of going, oh, yeah, I'll oh, help you up, mate. Sorry, mate. God, you kicked a really good goal. You might win the award for that. We've gone soft. While we've got you in uh, grumpy old man mode, uh, let's let's talk about uh, one of your pet hates, the match review panel at the moment. What's your, what's your latest gripe there? Well, I don't know if I can say it's my latest gripe because I think common sense has prevailed in this one incident. Sydney, Geelong play, right? Uh, Brad Close does a tackle against Aaron Francis. Aaron Francis um, suffered a... He didn't really suffer a head injury, but it was a head-hitting turf. So we've seen numerous times this year where someone has been suspended for that action or fined for that action. So Close laid a perfect tackle. Pin the arm. One arm was free, all right? Couldn't put his arm out really to stop. His head softly hits the turf. Um... But in the previous instances and many instances this year when the AFL always goes out hard, people have been suspended or they've been fined for similar incidents. But when the match review panel puts out their finding in the view that the MRO has, despite Francis uh, being in a vulnerable position, close attempted to slow the momentum in taking to the ground and that in that circumstance it was not a not careless in tackling in that manner. Well, the reality is, if you pin someone's arm and you take them to ground, their head hits the turf. Every other instance in the game has been careless. So why isn't this? So are we seeing them changing their interpretation? Well, I hope so, because we've seen great tackles and blokes be suspended or 
have to go to the tribunal to overturn a two or three match suspension as we saw a couple of weeks ago. So I think hopefully common sense is prevailing. I don't want to speak too early. But the whole idea is we've got people in the media and particularly journos going, oh, well, you know, they've pinned the arms and they've pinned. I'm sorry, mate. If you have an understanding of football, the whole idea of a tackle is not to hold on to the body so their arms are free to tackle and get release of the ball. The whole idea is tackle is to wrap your arms around them, both arms and body, and pin their arms and take them to ground. And yes, you want to take them to ground as softly as you can, but for people to say that, oh, no, we don't, you know, well, one arm was pinned and he couldn't do anything, give me a spell. Because the bloke who's tackling is actually fighting the tackler too, and that's why we see these instances where players are forcefully taken to the ground because the bloke who's tackling is going, I cannot let him release this because the coach is going to kill me if they do. So for me, maybe we're seeing a little bit of softening of the MRO because that incident was not reportable and all of a sudden common sense looks like it's prevailed. Yeah, when I saw um, that you wanted to raise the match review panel in the notes again, I just assumed that you're going to be having another bitch, but that wasn't wasn't exactly what I was expecting, sure to say. Are you saying that you're hopeful that it's uh, that they're easing things up, or is there also a little bit of concern that there might be a bit more inconsistency coming in? Well, I think the facts are, you, do I hope that they'll ease it up? Absolutely. But just highlights me the hypocrisy and inconsistency of this set, this whole setup. And also, too, the, a lot of the people, and it comes back to a little bit of the journalists, too, because how can you report and say that, you know, what this person's trying to do, and that is a perfect tackle. Perfect tackle. Because the last thing a player is looking to do is go, oh, I can't hurt his head. You go, no, I've got to stop him getting rid of the ball. Oh, now I've got him. I've got to try and limit the the, the damage on his head. So, yeah, I think hopefully it's a step in the right direction. Now, Treaders, we've been following the NRL silly season at the moment. It's all, all going pear-shaped with superstars trying to buy out their contracts and coaches getting sacked and... Wouldn't you know it, there's some even more pretty amazing contract drama that's happening with a couple of stars. Yeah, Monty, this one's concerning if you're a Gold Coast fan because, as we know, they sacked their coach Justin Holbrook a couple of weeks ago. But what has since been revealed in the media is two of the Gold Coast stars have their contracts tied to Justin being the senior coach. It's bizarre. This is unbelievable because they're close with him. So clearly they've come over, gone to him, played under him. We want him to coach. That's why we're signing a contract. That is commonplace. I remember doing that in the past, saying I'm not going to commit unless I know Mark Williams is coaching. All of a sudden, Mark Williams gets a couple of year, um, uh, contract extension because he's been performing well. But also, too, why would a player commit themselves to a club if they don't know who's looking after them? That's the bit that's interesting. And those two players, it's Tino Fasumawi Awi. I think I, I think I got that right. They're superstar um, Queensland players, um, and the other one is David Fafida. So their contracts are, these are both origin stars for Queensland. So if there's two players that the Gold Coast Titans can't afford to um, uh, lose, it's these two guys. So, you know, and this is where we thought the Titans had done this, you know, quite clean, ruthless, but clean um, job of reviewing their, their team. And then all of a sudden it comes out that it hasn't been the case. Either they didn't know or they knew. This is really concerning. If they didn't know, they've got massive concerns for a club because they're not dotting their I's and crossing their T's. But if they did know, geez, it's a big risk to say that effectively you're making two of your best players free agents. It's it's utterly ridiculous. Uh, at, like, I understand exactly what you're saying. Sure, you say, yeah, I'm only going to sign if, you know, I know that the coach is going to be there. But 
but you, you can't have that written in your contract, surely. The fact that I, I couldn't imagine you, you know, Choco gets sacked and well, traders can walk. Like that, that's unbelievable to me. Yeah, well, I never had that, but I'm telling you, by the looks of the, these guys have. Because yep. otherwise, how they how have they stumbled across it? They've stumbled across it off the fact that if it's either not written in a contract or it's in the correspondence with their agent through their club, that's the other thing, which is as good as being written in their contract because it shows the intent and the terms of the contract. So, yeah, the, the, and this is a bit too. Like, you can understand if there's a couple of lower end players that might have had it or have these discussions or they've recruited someone over, but these guys have been playing for Queensland and the Origin. You know what I mean? And clearly once the origins happen and, and they're going to sit down and discuss this matter. And the, but this also comes a week after Dragons captain and, and Queensland and Australian superstar Ben Hunt tried to buy himself out of his contract mid-year as their franchise player um, and try and get out of his contract, go and play for the Broncos this year and then free himself up for the 2024 season and beyond. So it seems as if something at NRL headquarters needs to change because... You can't have this sort of stuff happen. It, it's just, yeah, you know, and it makes, you know, for a team, the Gold Coast Titans, who've historically struggled, it's not a good look. As, uh, as wild as it can get in the NRL, it's nowhere near as wild as what's happening in the NBA at this time of year. Give us a little bit of an update, Traders. What's going on there? Uh, well, it's free agency period, and there's plenty happening if you're an Aussie, and um, it's almost as if they're going, are you Australian? Yeah, let, let's move you to a new club. Um, deals are getting done left, right, and center. Jock Landau, your mate, signed a four-year deal with the Houston Rockets worth just under $50 million Australian. The only bad bit of that is that the first year um, is guaranteed. So obviously, um, it'll be the club and or player option as well, um, or a joint option, whether that continues. But he gets his payday. He's been brilliant, which has been great. And uh, now he goes to the open market. The Rockets have said, hey, you're worth 50 mil. Let's, uh, let's bring you over. So that's great work, a great reward for him. But then it also looks like uh, at the Rockets, uh, his Boomers teammate, Paddy Mills, was headed there um, because Brooklyn had traded him, to, traded him to Houston. But it almost as if as soon as he's landed, he's then landed at Oklahoma um, Thunder. So this is the bit too that if you listen to Oklahoma Thunder, it's a bit of a trend happening here at Miami because Jack White, who... Um, won a championship with the Nuggets only a couple of weeks ago. He's moved to OKC. He's joined fellow Aussie Josh Giddy. He's already there. Um, so why joins on a two-year deal? But as it stands, there's now three boomers at OKC. So um, this is great. This is great because all the, um, the Australian basketball team will need to do is only speak to one basketball operations guy to have these guys commit to the World Cup. So that's good news there. Um, but it doesn't finish Veteran Joe Ingalls, and this guy's a ripping fellow. I've had a little bit to do with him. He's heading to Orlando. He signed a two-year deal with $22 million. So all of a sudden, uh, I think his career earnings have, you know, have you got an update for me there, Monty? It's big, big bucks over his journey. For a guy who, you know, I reckon one stage, when did the Clippers got sacked and then went off to Barcelona to play? Rough calculation, over 150 mil Aussie he'll walk away with. Over his career earnings, which is a pretty, pretty good result for a uh, Happy Valley boy that they didn't think would would do a whole lot early on. Slow Joe, they called him. Slow Joe, yeah, but he, he's got bas- basketball IQ coming out of his eyeballs and uh, can shoot as well from three point land as good as anyone. So good on him. He gets a reward. Uh, also, too, some great news for Dante Exum, who's a former, I think, number five pick 
um, Australian guy who's gone off to Europe because he'd lost his um, his contracts in the NBA. He won a championship over there, so had success in Europe. Uh, Dante Exum has come back to the NBA with the Dallas Mavericks. So that's uh, great news for another Aussie who's back in the NBA. It's, it's worth just making a point that we, before we get all excited about the three boys at OKC, there is still a chance that Paddy Mills could get bought out, moved on elsewhere. Who knows? So fingers crossed, but, but things, are, uh, things are moving pretty quickly at the moment. Absolutely. Damien Lillard, who was a superstar from Portland, uh, requested a trade. Um, not sure what's going on there. Turns 33 on July 15. He's due $204 million over the next four years, so that might have a little bit to do with it. Or you'd be in a, a situation where a lot of clubs are trying to clear cap space to try and bring him in because he could be the difference between being a team that makes the playoffs or a team that would be a championship um, contender. Hornet superstar LaMelo Ball um, spent some time in uh, the NBL many years ago, reportedly on the verge of signing a five-year rookie Supermax deal, $260 million. Kyrie Irving is staying with the Mavs on a three-year $126 million deal. Russell, Brook is, uh, Russell Westbrook is staying with the Clippers on a two-year $8 million deal, which is pretty cheap. Um, but this is obviously the first year of the new CBA rules in the NBA. Um Jeez, if you want some light reading, Monty, 560 pages. I got to page two and said, this is really complex. I'm stopping Well, for the, for the nerds, and I say that respectfully, that uh, follow our podcast, I'm actually going to put a little link to the whole CBA in the show notes. I'm gonna, and I'm going to check out stats, and I'm going to see if anyone actually clicks it, but I'm going to put it in there anyway, a nice little link. So if you want to go through all 560 pages be our guest and maybe send us a little summary that would be nice so we didn't actually have to read it <laughs> some dot points send them through please now uh treaders we got a little update from i know a an aussie italian soccer player that you've been following a little bit we tried to get him to the socceroos he's made a big move which will uh take his career to the next level yeah monty you remember the stories we spoke on the edge of the world cup where uh jose Mourinho, who is the roma manager got involved a little bit and he had an opinion. Um, it was off this young guy called Christian Volpato. He sealed his move from Italian giants and heavyweights, Roma, to fellow Serie A uh, side Sassuolo. So the deal is reportedly worth 9 million euros, which is 14.77 million Aussie dollars, making it third highest transfer in, in for an Australian of all time. It comes behind 15 million pounds, um, that was paid by Leicester for Harris Sutar uh, in January. So, yeah, and, and the other one, uh, the next best was 10 million paid by Huddersfield Town um, to Manchester City for Aramoy back in 2017. So that was about $19 million Aussie. Um, and, and this is the bit that the Aussies have been locked in a fierce tug of war for the 19 year old playmaker services with Italy, who have capped the youngster at a youth international level. So Volpato turned down a soccer who's call up on the eve of the World Cup and, and is still considered in the frame for selection. So it's really interesting, isn't it? You know, money talks and, and BS walks, but this kid is a super talent and for, for the Italy to be wrestling with Australia to try and get him to convince him to play Italian football, it says deep down that they see a massive future in this young kid. Yeah, no, it'll be interesting to see how that all unfolds uh, over the next couple of years. The other one that... Um was a bit sad is seeing, and a bit of a shock to be honest, Socceroos star Aaron Moy um, has retired from international soccer. 
pretty sudden because he had a back problem, Treaders. Yeah, well, you wouldn't have really known, though, either, Monty, because he was playing until recently, until the season just finished, with Ange Postacoglu Celtic and cleaned up probably five or, or at least five, six um, trophies over the last two years in, in Ange's um, brilliant reign there. But Aramoy's been a star for Australian soccer, you know, retired from international soccer, sudden exit, back problem, all of a sudden. I thought it was an international retirement to, at the start because I saw the Socceroos announcement, didn't read the fine print. Then all of a sudden you realise he stepped away um, from the game in its entirety, entirety. So, you know, he's one of Australia's greatest ever midfielders. You know, played 57 times for the Socceroos, gone to a couple of World Cups, um, made close to 100 Premier League appearances for Huddersfield Town and Brighton, um, Hope Albion as well. Um, you know, he was on Man City's list. You remember many years ago, went to Melbourne City as part of that ownership. You know, he's been a wonderful player. He's won multiple, uh, as I said before, uh, trophies at Celtic and he'll be retired a, a happy rich man. And uh, hopefully his body's not too bad. His back injury won't affect you too much in later life. Now, Treaders, it's uh, been a fair few ups and downs for Tim Tazoo over the last week or so. Yeah, well, it's funny because he was he's pressing on with plans for a $300,000 Las Vegas camp despite Jamel Charlo making a shock decision to change divisions um, and pulled out of their title fight. So Zoo could be crowned the W, sorry, the BWO super welterweight champ or could soon be set up um, with another belt against uh, a legend in Gennady Goldston. I think that's how you say his name. So... You know, it's amazing, isn't it? He makes the plans, but that is boxing. You can have a title fight. You can have someone get cut um, in sparring and lead-up training. And if there's stitches and there's been a wound, sometimes fights get uh, have been um, terminated for, for lesser deals. But, you know, if he's going to continue on, I think he knows deep down he's going to get a fight. Um, and he keeps on continuing on his golden streak. So, good on him. He's going really, really well. And no doubt his bank balance, if he's spending three hundred grand on a camp, I would su- suggest that at least 10 times that he's probably making per fight. Yeah, that's right. Um, another sad news in boxing was Jeff Horntreader's Aussie boxing legend. Uh, he's pulled the pin as well, which is a which is a bit of a shock. Yeah, and this is all around the, the head issues. And we can talk about that in rugby league. We can talk about it in AFL and how we want to make the head sacrosanct. Well, the, the, one, the one sport or there's a couple of sports... Um, you know, the old MMA fighting and then there's boxing where there's some serious issues here. And, um, Jeff Horn, who has been a boxing legend, as you mentioned, has retired due to memory issues um, and he's rejected a million-dollar fight recently. So, you know, he's putting himself first now. But sadly, when you play, when you're in boxing and you're getting multiple concussions and multiple head injuries, that is the byproduct of being a professional boxer, unfortunately. And uh, we wish him all the best. All right, thank you for listening to the wrap. As always, I'll be putting the notes in our substack, so make sure you subscribe at www.thebigdeal.au. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Big Deal. Before you go, don't forget to join our community by subscribing for free at www.thebigdeal.au and get a weekly email bringing together the hottest sports deals, breaking sports biz news as it happens, and much more. Join me at www.thebigdeal.au.